You're listening to the Beyond the States podcast with Jen Vimont. Did you know that you can go to Europe and get your entire degree taught in English for less than one year of tuition at many American schools? Jen will take you on a deep dive into the many benefits and options around English-taught higher education in Europe, helping to make the possibility less foreign. You guys, I am so super excited about our guest today. It's author Tim Leffel, and he has had such a direct impact on my family's life. So as I've mentioned before, we just got back after spending two years in Portugal. We had originally planned to move to Malaysia, but due to some constraints with Tom's job, we moved to Portugal instead. It was through Tim's book and his blogs uh, that I really learned about living in both of these places. So while we were developing our plan about moving abroad, um, Ellie and I spent six weeks in Malaysia. We spent time in two different cities, Penang and KL, and we were looking at things like apartments to see what we could get with our budget, uh, visiting international schools that Ellie could attend, and experiencing other aspects of day-to-day life. And this trip was so helpful. Of course, we visited a number of tourist sites while we were there. I mean, there's some incredible places to visit, but the majority of our time was spent living as we would if we were residents, not tourists. You know, Ellie did her online school during the day. I worked. We experienced grocery shopping, traffic, public transportation, all sorts of other things that relate to to how life works when you live somewhere. So because of this, had we moved there, I feel like we wouldn't have been surprised or, or disappointed by certain things, you know, things like the excessive heat the crazy traffic or the haze during burning season that really just gets to your eyes and your throat. I mean, we experienced all these things, so we knew what we were walking into. We didn't really have this as much with Portugal, but my brother does live there and kind of gave us a lot of information. And we had been to Portugal a couple of times as well. So these things, along with um, the frequent trips I take to Europe for Beyond the States, definitely gave us an idea of what we were, were getting into. So Tim's book is, is all about, the title says it all, A Better Life for Half the Price. And Tim does a great job pointing out in his book that this isn't just a, a cheaper version of your current life and that you do need to know what's crucial for you to have in your life ahead of time and to be prepared for cultural differences. And this is really what I want to parallel to college in Europe as well. While it's, it's certainly more affordable than out-of-state and private higher education in the U.S., it's not just a cheaper version of these schools. You have to be aware of and interested in the differences and also ready to deal with, with the downsides as well. So it would be a little bit like if I said I wanted to move to Eastern Europe, say, uh, just because of the affordability, and I was looking for a house that costs less than my current one here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, I want a fenced-in yard for my dogs. I want a store like Target that has, you know, everything you might need, easily accessible, mm, also a large supermarket, uh, English-speaking high school for Ellie, and an English-speaking Pilates studio for myself. And oh yeah, I'd like central air and heat as well as a clothes dryer. Not going to happen. It's the same when someone tells me that they want to study in a specific country in Europe that they wanna pay less than in-state tuition, attend a medium-sized university, have a centralized campus with a dorm, Uh, they wanna major in literature and minor in political science, and they wanna play, I don't know, softball competitively for the school. Not gonna happen. So it's important to know that there are a lot of differences between European universities and American universities. Certainly the program structure is different than than the majors and minors and gen ed requirements in the U.S. Um, And except for Ireland and a few exceptions, most campuses are decentralized. This means that the various departments of, of the university are all throughout the city. They're not in one central campus. Now, your classes are all gonna be held in your academic department. They call academic departments faculty. So you don't have to get from, you know, one part of town uh, to another to get to your classes because you're not going to have those gen ed requirements that are held in different uh, academic departments. Student housing is not generally owned by universities. There are dorms. They're called student residences, but they generally house students from a variety of different schools in the city. 
So because of these two factors, your student life is often more tied to the city than the school. And that's not to say that there aren't opportunities for student life within the school, but it's not confined to that. Sports are different too, of course. We have a podcast episode done earlier this year about a student who actually plays baseball in the Netherlands, uh, but this is done at the league level, not connected to the university. School size considerations are different as well. Small schools are worth considering since so much of your student life occurs outside of the school, and larger schools are worth considering too since your academic life is pretty confined to your smaller academic department. Getting lost in the shuffle is less likely, and you can usually find all of the student resources you need at this level, at the, at the faculty level, the academic department level as well. So these are just a few of the differences. One thing I'm working on with myself is not automatically seeing a difference about anything, not just countries or schools, and automatically defining something as better than or worse than. For one, something doesn't have to be better than or worse than. It can just be defined as different. Second, something is very rarely universally better than or worse than. It's really more a matter of the specific person's preferences, their goals, their interests, their tastes, whether we're talking about food or fashion or homes or education or countries. I have to tell you, I'm a lot more likely to look at something with an open mind if I'm thinking about it as different as opposed to better or worse. Even going into thinking that the options in Europe are better can really shoot you in the foot as you might not be prepared for some of the obstacles. When you look at the differences with an open mind, you can decide if they're differences that would fit you as a person as well as your personal situation. Having the mindset that you will, or even having the mindset that you should, get the same experience outside of the U.S. that you get in the U.S. is really going to set you up for a lot of disappointment. We offer a number of master classes throughout the year in which students have group calls with each other and also with myself. So we do spend time talking about concerns. It's, it's really important, I think, not to gloss over them. So one student mentioned that he's really active in marching band in high school. And though there are a ton of differences in Europe that he's really excited about, he's concerned that he won't be able to continue with marching band. Now, I really have no idea how marching band works outside of the U.S., like whether there are, I don't know, marching bands that perform at parades or things like that. So his first step is to explore this through Google, which they're so lucky. I would have had to like consult an encyclopedia or something if if it were my day. But anyway, so he's going to research and see if there is something similar or even the same, you know, some sort of marching band um, that would be interesting to him. There might not be. And if not, he's going to weigh whether that's a deal breaker or a preference or whether there are ways for him to pursue that interest during summers or or other outside of the box solutions. It may be that he decides it's a deal breaker and that's okay. The recognition that there are differences, neither good nor bad, but that simply have to be evaluated along with his own personal needs, that's going to help him make an informed decision. So we're going to take a quick break and talk to Tim, who knows more about these differences and how to evaluate them than anyone I've ever encountered. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I'm Izzy from Wisconsin. I'm entering my third year of study at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. If you've been listening to the last few episodes of the podcast, you might think that Beyond the States is mostly for Dutch schools. There are a lot of members here particularly because, other than Ireland, of course, the Netherlands has the greatest number of English-taught bachelor degree programs. There are actually Beyond the States members in Sweden, Finland, Estonia, Austria, Germany, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Greece, Italy, and France and Spain and Belgium, and even Cyprus. Each country is different when it comes to their admission requirements, educational approaches, the types of universities and types of programs they offer, and more. This is just one reason why Beyond the States is so helpful. They have information about all of these different countries and make it easy to understand and navigate them. I'm actually a dual citizen, and my parents grew up and started their higher education in Poland. They later moved to the U.S. to finish their higher levels of education. Even though they have an understanding of these higher educations in the U.S., they didn't want me to be limited to just those options, especially since I'm eligible for EU tuition in all of Europe, except for Ireland, of course. I'll be on the stage membership to help me learn about so many options all around Europe that would be a good fit for me. I would really encourage you to not limit your options to just one country. 
For example, when I was looking, I looked not only at the Netherlands, but also Portugal, Spain, Germany, and the Czech Republic. Beyond the States makes that easy to do, especially with their membership. Check the show notes or service page at beyondthestates.com for information on how to join. So today I'm joined by Tim Leffel, who is the true original travel influencer. He's an award-winning travel writer, an author, and an expert who's regularly quoted in major media. He's written and edited thousands of articles online and in print and authored five books, Travel Writing 2.0, The World's Cheapest Destinations, Make Your Travel Dollars Worth a Fortune, The Traveler's Toolkit, and my personal favorite, better life for half the price. Tim, I can't even tell you how excited I am to have you here today. We just spent the last two years living abroad in Portugal and our exploration of different places and and how to approach the search and the considerations and all of that were a result of your incredible book. And I can't even tell you the impact it had on our life. And I'm so glad you're here to share your wisdom with our listeners. Well, thank you, Jennifer. That means a lot. I love to hear when people uh, read something I wrote and acted on it because, um, yeah, that's the purpose really to help people do it with fewer headaches and less hassle and hopefully less money as well. <laughs> well, and it's really interesting. I was reviewing a, a lot of your work um, over the past week in preparation for this call, um, particularly during these times when um, when travel is limited. It's so exciting to read about the possibilities for when it's not. I was reading. I'm I'm going to be honest. South America has been on my lower list of places to go, on my lower priority list. But I was reading about a place that you talked about in Argentina that's like Switzerland, and I can't get it off my mind. And it has moved up to, you know, the top five <laughs> in my list of places I want to go. Yeah, that would probably be Bariloche. It's kind of a weird place because there's lots of Germans and Swiss Germans there and chocolate shops and all. It's It feels kind of strange when you're in, when you're in South America, yeah. but beautiful, beautiful scenery around there. Wow. So so you're an expert both on moving abroad and traveling on the cheap. And our students who are studying in Europe and, and actually some of their parents uh, are moving abroad, the students for three to four years, sometimes more if, if they decide to go to grad school or pursue work there. And of course, students are interested in affordable places to go. So I'd like to talk about both, but I do have a question about something I just recently learned this week in my, in my research which was that you had your first international travel experience at the age of 30 after establishing a career and buying a house and all that. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your journey from there to here. Yeah, that was partly because I was following the path that we're all told to follow, which right. is, you know, get good grades and go to college and get a corporate job and and then move your way up the ladder. And I'd sort of done all that. Um sort of following the script, I guess. And I'd t- taken some vacations and been on business trips like in Canada and I'd been to Jamaica and whatever, but I hadn't gone anywhere for more than a week. I don't think traveled a lot in the U S but basically um, my now wife, then girlfriend um, said she wanted to go traveling around the world and, you know, go backpacking around the globe. And um, she would like me to go with her, but if I didn't, she was going to go anyway. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of the impetus and, you know, it, it kind of just, uh, you know, they say that out of the box thinking, you know, just totally put me out of my box. And I started thinking, well, why not? It's not like I love this job I'm in. I had this boss and I, this boss that I hated and, you know, it was a very stressful job. And so um, it was a fun one, but very stressful. I worked in the music business and so did my wife and that's how we met. But anyway, um, so we started making plans and I I rented out my condo. I I didn't sell my car. I think I parked it at my parents' house and we just like sold a bunch of stuff, got rid of, you know, everything we could and then took off. And we didn't really have enough money to last us an entire year. So we got certified to teach English. We took a month long course in Bangkok and we ended up teaching in Turkey for about five months on that trip. And then later we taught English in Korea. So I would advise that for people who are looking to live somewhere, it's a good way to, you know, fund your living abroad experience because, at the worst, you'll get paid enough to live on. But if you know, if you're in a country like Korea, you can actually save a lot of money. So we did, and then we went traveling some more. So in all, it was about three years abroad on that trip. And um, yeah, I started travel writing then, just doing some odd articles here and there, and realized I didn't really want to go back to an office job. 
I mean, I did for a while when we, we came back because I had a kid and I had to like have some steady income, but I kept the travel writing going and eventually it became my full-time job. Wow, that's awesome. And you live in, in Mexico now, correct? Yes, I do. I live in a city called Guanajuato, which is right smack in the middle and it's uh, in the center of the country, but it's at 6,500 feet up in the mountains. And so the weather's really nice and it's sunny all the time. Oh, nice. <laughs> So you have personal experience around living abroad and then, of course, all your research around it. Um, so I wanted to start there with, with actually living abroad. And I think a lot of people think that the savings, when they think of savings, it's just like rent and food. Can you tell me about some of the other areas or the other sources of savings that people might not think about right off the top of their head? Well, first of all, there's this underlying principle that people don't realize until they're out there for a while, which is the faster you move, the more you're going to spend. So if you're trying to do like seven countries in two weeks, you know, you're going to spend a fortune no matter where you go, just because you're going to spend so much on transportation. And also when you're in a certain place for a while, you figure out where the cheap restaurants are and where the best grocery store is and what free events are going on, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it definitely pays to go deeper instead of wider. Um, and the other thing is there's a massive difference in just the day-to-day -day costs in different countries, whether that's, you know, a hostel or hotel or lodging, but also just um, a bus or a taxi or, you know, basic food things and to go out to see a museum or to go on some activity. I mean, it can literally quadruple when you cross the border. I mean, that happens when you go from Hungary to Austria, for, <laughs> for instance, or the Czech Republic to Germany. I mean, they're neighbors, you know, they're, they're closer than U.S. states, but and smaller, <laughs> but uh, the, the economic differences can be huge. And so there are some places like Bulgaria that are as cheap as they as Southeast Asia, for example, or Central America. But then, you know, if you go to Switzerland or Norway, you're going to spend way more than you would in the United States. And so there's um, just a massive range there, even in Europe. And so it, it pays to do some research. That's why I put out that book, The World's Cheapest Destinations, because when I wrote it, there was nothing out there like that. And it was really hard to find, you know, apples to apples comparisons. So I just kind of put out this guide and said, I'll see if anybody buys it. And, <laughs> and they people did. did. And so <laughs> now it's in its fifth edition. So it's been a while. Uh, I also think for, for us, when we lived abroad, um, a big part of the savings that really shook us every day was how much less health care was oh, you know, yeah, than, than in the one. U.S. Um, and, and also, I think there's this sort of false belief that the care you get in the U.S. is the best. You know, it must be you pay so much and doctors pay so much to become <laughs> doctors. And I was extremely impressed with the level of care we got for, we, we chose to get private insurance, but we didn't have to after we had residency. So, you know, it was under $200 for the three of us each month um, for insurance. We didn't have a deductible. I could talk to my doctor on the phone. I mean, it was just, and then my son who was in the Netherlands broke his wrist and he was just on student insurance, had to have surgery. And we kept calling the hospital saying, okay, you know how much is out of pocket calling the insurance, you know? trying to think like he just had surgery. We must, you know, we're going to have to pay an arm and a leg. And they were very off put by all these calls, you know, we'll get to you. Yeah. We get to you. It was zero. Yeah. What we had to pay out of pocket. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. I hear stories like that all the time. And it, it just is so foreign to us when you come from the U S system, that's so ridiculously expensive. And, and we have catastrophe insurance, but we, it's mostly because we need it when we go back to the U S but um, when we're here, we pay out of pocket in Mexico and it's 40 to $60 depending on the doctor and they give you their cell phone number. And, um, that's private doctors, of course, you know, and if we went to the public system, it would be maybe nothing, but, um, you know, and that's my dentist trained in Texas. My dermatologist speaks fluent English, you know, and so, She's at the high end. That's the $60 one, you know, but it's like, still, it's nothing, you know, it's like quite less than you spend on dinner at Applebee's or something. So, um, you know, it's not something we ever wor worry about here. And like you said, a lot of European countries and Argentina is like this too. They don't even know how to charge you. It's basically, you know, they give the care and send you on your way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, it, it being back in the U S now and seeing how much my husband's now no longer self-employed and he 
works for a company and seeing how much of his check is going towards health insurance. You know, you think like, oh, you work for a company, you're you're covered. No, it's just a lot of it's coming out of his paycheck. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's really yeah. incredible, that difference. Um, and just back to your question again, uh, lodging usually is your biggest expense or one of the biggest expenses. So there are ways out there that you can cut that down by, you know, doing volunteer work or couch surfing or home exchange or working in a hostel for two weeks or whatever, you know, you can get creative with those things, but you know, still when you're planning a budget, it's better to just assume you're going to have to pay for it and then get a surprise to the upside. If you work something else out. Absolutely. So I was rereading a number of your blogs, like I said, and one thing I really like that you said, I can't remember if it was a blog or a book, but you said, as a travel writer who visits 10 to 12 countries each year, I often ask myself when visiting a new place, could I live here? Usually the answer is no for some very specific factual reason. And, and you also talk about the reasons that you might not want to live someplace are a reason that somebody else might want to live someplace. You know, there's not just one right answer. So I want to talk about that more, but just out of curiosity, can you tell me another place besides Mexico where the answer is, yes, I could live here and maybe a place that you love to visit, but you wouldn't want to live? Yeah, I I could live in Portugal, which you have lots of experience with. I probably wouldn't live in Lisbon. I'd live somewhere smaller, more manageable, but um, I do like that country a lot. And there's other places I've been in Europe where I could live. Um, But I do have to say the language can be a problem, like someplace like Hungary or Bulgaria or Czech Republic. I like those places, but I think I would, I would find it difficult not, you know, having any mastery of the language. And, um, I would live in Argentina and we actually thought about it for pretty seriously for a while, but we decided it was just way too far. And, um, you know, getting back and forth to see family was going to be too difficult. And also they go out to eat at like 11 or 12 at night, which is, when you've got a kid, that's hard to to deal with. So uh, there were a few reasons there, but yeah, there's a, I mean, it's also a matter of how long are you going to live there? Like if you go live somewhere for three months, that's a whole different thing than if you're going to go there for the rest of your life. And so that's one of the great things about being a digital nomad, which a, a lot of people have, you know, sort of, found their way into because they're working remote or they own their own business and they can go where they want. And so three months is kind of like a, a visa limit in a lot of places. So, you know, a lot of nomads will go somewhere for three months and then move on. Sometimes you can get six. And I think that's a really nice situation because you don't really get sick of a place in that amount of time, you know, and all the things that are getting on your nerves haven't totally frayed your nerves yet. And so, um, so yeah, it's kind of a different thing. I mean, there are a lot of places I could live for, um, six months easily, but I don't know if I would want to live there for years on end. And I kind of feel that way with most of Southeast Asia too, just because that, heat gets really stifling that tropical heat and i was just in belize for two weeks and i loved it but i got so tired of spraying bug spray on all the time and i still got a load of bites you know and i i don't miss that oh no when we were in malaysia that was the only thing that got to me was even though there's air conditioning everywhere even like on the sidewalks you yeah know, that heat where you need to change clothes a few times during the day it was really difficult <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first the first place we landed was Japan when we went traveling around the world. But then we landed in Bangkok and it was the hottest time of the year. And we were sucking down bottles of water all day long and never going to the bathroom. And right. I realized, you know, there's something not quite right about this. <laughs> but I like said about three to six months. I could live somewhere like our students. I could live somewhere for three to four years if there were sort of a reason, you know, if I were being compelled by a great education at a great price. Um, and knowing there's an end date, then if you know there's an end date, you know, okay, I have to deal with this nonsense of whatever, whatever nonsense it is you find for three yeah. to four years, I can suck it up for that long. And and I often do get students who come to me and they say, oh, I want to study in Paris or Barcelona or Rome or a handful of other well-known places because, you know, they vacation there. And it's so right. different vacationing somewhere versus living somewhere. Um, yeah. So if you were talking to a college student who who would be living somewhere for three to four years, what would you suggest that they look at 
when it comes to, you talk about deal breakers about location. I talk about the same when it comes to school considerations. So what would you suggest they look at when they're thinking about their deal breakers around location or what they should or shouldn't include in those? Well, I think for anyone moving abroad, uh, you know, weather matters, you know, how much, how well are you able to put up with winter or extreme heat and bugs like we were talking about? Or darkness. Um, yeah, or darkness. I mean, if you go live in Norway, I mean, it's going to be, you know, dark all day sometimes, you right. know, in the middle of the winter. And it's great in the summer because, you know, you can be out at 3 a.m. and everybody's still eating outside in cafes and it's light, but you know, you get the opposite in the winter time. So that matters. Um, the cost of living matters. If you're broke all the time, that's no fun. I mean, even if you've got the university support system there and a meal plan and whatever, you're still going to leave campus sometimes. Um, yeah. And so, um, and then just the culture, I mean, if I've heard people, say that they studied in Russia and they got really frustrated because everybody was just kind of cranky and frowning all the time and, you know, just in a bad mood and that can wear on you after a while, you know, and there are also sort of social norms around the world. I mean, it could be difficult to live in Japan or Korea because there are um, very conformist um, social norms that, you know, if you step outside of the circle, you're really ostracized. And so if you're kind of a rebellious person with, tattoos and nose rings and purple hair, you're probably not going to do so well there, maybe in the middle of Tokyo, but not <laughs> in the rest of the places. So yeah, it's just kind of a self-assessment more than anything, you know, what matters to you, what's important, what, what do you hate? You know, that's as important as what do you like? And, and back to your point about the big cities, I, I do think it can be advantageous to go to a smaller place. I mean, a, a real university town instead of a, a big city, um, my wife studied um, in England and she went to Norwich University of East Anglia. And one thing, I think she got way more interaction with with British people that way. And also, you know, it was a lot cheaper and she was able to do a lot more um, rather than being right in the middle of London. Absolutely. And there, there's, it's not like these are necessarily small towns. I mean, there's Toulouse in France, which is a great student city. There's Utrecht in, in the Netherlands, right. there's Bruno in Czech Republic or Pech in, in Hungary. I mean, they're they're not like tiny little small towns. I think people also think of small towns outside of the U.S. like small towns are in the U.S. And um, it's so different. Right. <laughs> so different. <laughs> so what do you think the biggest obstacles people face when they're moving outside of their home country? Or what are some of the hardest things you had to adjust to that people should anticipate? Well, I think the people that adjust the easiest are the ones that are open-minded and, and appreciate other cultures and understand that, you know, the place you grew up doesn't necessarily get it right all the time either. <laughs> you know, like uh, being willing to just kind of go with the flow and and see what's expected of you in a place and, and how you fit in and how you get things done. Um, I mean, this is kind of a blanket statement, but in most of Latin America, things move very slowly and family comes first. And, you know, nobody's a workaholic and you've got to just kind of get used to those things. And because if you try to fight them, you know, you're going to be in a fight day after day. And, you know, if you expect your contractor to show up at 10 o'clock on the dot every morning to do work on your house, you're going to go through many contractors because none <laughs> of them are going to do that consistently. And it's just part of the culture, you know, and it's, it's super noisy where I live. There's like fireworks and mariachi bands and dogs on the roof and everything. And, you know, if that kind of thing is going to drive you crazy, then this is not the place to live. And so I always tell people to do a trial run because, you know, try to go live in a real neighborhood. Don't stay in a high rise tourist hotel, you know, rent a, an apartment somewhere and, and where the locals live and kind of try it out because then you get a real sense of what it's like to live there instead of, like you said, um, it's the tourist experience, which is very different. <laughs> totally. Totally. For me, I think the biggest, the hardest thing for me to adjust to that I had to do all sorts of self-talk about was just dealing with the bureaucracy, you know, your residence permit, your driver's license, all those things. And what I had to remind myself is that sucks everywhere. Like even in the yeah, U S <laughs> just when you live somewhere, you so rare, you know, when, like what you get your driver's license renewed every 10 years here in the U.S., passport renewed about that. So you're not dealing with it on a daily basis like you are in your first year 
in another country. Yeah. So it might seem like it's worse, but it's not. You're just dealing with it more. You know? Yeah, I hear people complain about the process they have to go through to get residency in Mexico. And like, maybe they had to go to the office a second time because they didn't, have, you know, they were missing a document. It's like, do you realize how much effort people have to go through to go the other direction? You sure. know, it, it could take them 10 years to get residency in the U.S., you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's not a big deal if you have to go back again. No, for sure. <laughs> I hear a lot of people, and I hate to use this word because it sounds judgy, but I but I hear this more from Americans than than students and families from other countries. It's almost like um, a sense of entitlement of like wanting to be in this new country and wanting you know the convenience. I I had a hard time with the conveniences too, and not having a whole display of hummus to choose from, or right. having to go to you know ten different stores to get ten different items. But like, I'm not entitled to that living in a different country, you know? Yeah, you're a guest there. It's their country. Yep. Um, And yeah, the U.S. is the land of convenience and choice. And people need to understand like no other place in the world lives up to that standard. And whether that's a good thing or not, you know, we can get anything we want at any time almost. Um, But that's not the case in most of the world. (laughs) Right. Right. And and I think it really is like you were just saying, whether it's good or not, is not necessarily having to define everything as better or worse. Just recognizing that there's this category called different and it right. doesn't have to be better or worse um, and, and qualified in that way. And there are plenty of areas where the U.S. is way behind other parts of the world, you know, public transportation, healthcare. Mm-hmm. we already talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, the U.S. healthcare system is great if you have some rare disease and you need like the best surgeon in the world and things like that, you know, but for normal day-to-day healthcare, it's pretty lousy. And, you know, our, our transportation system, the roads are great, but if you need to get from A to B without a car, it's pretty tough. Whereas in most of the world, you can do that quite easily. And so, yeah, there's plenty of areas and, you know, you can get, we could talk about our political system for Mm -hmm. days and, you know, there's our education system. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of flaws that we could point to where we grew up, no matter where we grew up. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that ties to one of my other questions, which is um, there was this one blog I was reading of yours um, that talks about the negativity people get from other people, you know, people who are moving outside of their home country, the negativity they might get from friends or families, or for, you were talking about sort of internet trolls. Um, (laughs) And a lot of the families I work with deal with this as well. Uh, You know, you're going to send your kid you know, to another country. These are families who may live on the East Coast and wouldn't hesitate to send their children to California, but right. sending them from the East Coast to, you know, someplace in Western Europe, they're they're baffled. Um, and I see it also on our, our Facebook ad posts. You know, people will comment on the ad with a statement as if it's a fact, but it's either yeah. something that is no longer true or has never been true. So um, you say, I'll quote, I'm not sure whether these attackers feel threatened or patriotic to the extreme or just grumpy that they're stuck where they are, but it's a common tendency I deal with every month. So I'm wondering if you could tell us when it deal, when it comes to dealing with these objections, not from the internet trolls, but from, you know, well-meaning people, family, friends, school counselors, whatever, do you have advice on what to say to them? Um, yeah, it depends on who I'm talking to. You know, some people are just hopeless. I think you're, you're never going to change their mind. You just say, you know, we have a really good life there when we enjoy where we are and we're able to, you know, have a lot money, a lot more money left over at the end of the month that we can spend on other things or save or whatever. But, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just get into the specifics and say, um, okay, we have a housekeeper. We have a four bedroom house that's paid for, you know, we don't have a mortgage. We uh, take a taxi across town for $3. We can go buy more groceries than we can carry for $40, you know? So why wouldn't I live there? I have sunshine all year. You know, it's 70 some degrees every day. It's beautiful. So, you know, I understand if uh, you don't want to move, but uh, we had a lot of good reasons to move. And and besides, I can speak Spanish now too, which I never managed to do when I was just studying from a textbook. But once people step outside and travel a lot, they understand it. But the people who have not traveled at all outside their own country, I think it's a lost cause, you know, to try to talk about anything besides maybe the economics and the weather, like I mentioned. <laughs> you know, that's that's really true. I, I mentioned to you that for a while we were en route to move to Malaysia. And my 17-year-old daughter, she was 15 at the time. She was so excited about this. We did a trip to Malaysia scouting. You know, it was planned. We were moving to Malaysia. Uh, and people would ask her, why Malaysia? Now, I want to just tell you that 
we watched the episode of House Hunters International well after this plan was put into place, but it was like, oh, we're going to go visit there. Let's watch this episode of House Hunters International. And she was telling people, oh, because we saw it on House Hunters International. I'm like, please don't tell people that. She said, mom, they don't care that they don't tax on, on global uh, income and they don't care about those things. It's just easy to say. Yeah, that's funny. I I do want to put a caveat out there because people bring up that show a lot. It's not completely true. You no. have to understand, but the prices are accurate. So watch it for that. It's nice to kind of get a look at like, you know, what housing looks like there, but we wouldn't base where we're going. <laughs> like, yeah, who are you yeah. telling that? So I know who I need to do damage control with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So do you, so our, our students are in Europe, you know, in, in, EU and EEA countries is where the students we work with are. So, you know, that doesn't have to be Europe. It can be, you know, it's my son went to Morocco from, from Amsterdam very easily. But what would you say are hotspots for affordable travel for students who are living in EU, EEA countries? Well, there's two basic clusters, so that makes it easy to remember. Um, what we used to call Eastern Europe, the Iron curtain countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union, those are pretty universally still a bargain. So I'm just going to run down them real quick. Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, um, Romania. Yeah, there's one or two I'm missing there. Um, but I guess Moldova maybe. But And then there's Georgia, which is way over on the other yes. side of the the uh, is it the red, uh, the Black Sea. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, you know, those are all a good deal. Bulgaria is sort of the Balkans, sort of Eastern Europe, depending on who you ask, but the Balkans is the other cluster. So that would be, um, you know, Bosnia, Montenegro, Albania. Uh, those are all a really good deal. And, and in all those cases, it's just because the amount that the local people make is just not what it is in France or Italy. And, and that trickles down to everything, you know, real estate, transportation, um, your rent or hotels or whatever. So those places are just drastically cheaper than going to, you know, the greatest hits of Europe. And, and I would say you're not really taking a step down in quality either. And some of those, I mean, the Czech Republic is just a fantastic place to visit. And Slovakia is very similar because they used to be one country, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, but I mean, just fairy tale castles and historic cities. And I mean, Prague might just be the, you know, the most historic city in Europe because it didn't really get destroyed during World War II, like a lot of them. So um, a lot of people have discovered Hungary because of the river trip, river cruise Mm -hmm. tours and Mm -hmm. things like that. And, and just, you know, walked away raving about it because it's a beautiful place and, you know, good food and, and you can just do pretty much everything you want to do in those countries for a fraction of what you would spend in, in, you know, England or Holland or France or wherever. And so I just feel like you have a lot better time when you're there because you don't have to be watching every dollar and being concerned about, you know, breaking the budget every day. Right. Right. My son is changing to a school from the Netherlands to Prague and, uh, oh, great. and he did a trip to Prague and was blown away by like the beer cost compared to, yeah. to the Netherlands. some of the best beer in the world and the best price. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It's it, those countries are, I'm dying to go to Montenegro too. I, I met with some students in Budapest one year and the, the international student group or whatever, they were planning a weekend trip for students who wanted to go to Montenegro. And for the entire trip, it was something like 200 euros, you know, for food, for lodging, everything. Yeah. I would probably <laughs> stay at different accommodations than these students, <laughs> but, um, but it looks beautiful. Yeah. It's a great deal. And yeah, it's beautiful there. And, um, but, you know, just to say, if somebody is hell bent on uh, going to Western Europe, then where you were in Portugal is probably the best value and Spain's not so bad either. Um, and you can drink good wine for cheap in both of those places, which is uh, yeah. good for students, I guess. It's true. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you are going to go to Western Europe, head South, and then um, also you can take a quick trip from Spain over to Morocco, which is again, uh, a quite reasonable place. It's a different continent, but not by much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was actually looking um at just flight times and was impressed. My, my son and I went to Jordan one year, many years ago. And, and 
just mind blowing experiences, things that like, I didn't think would have an effect on me. I didn't think that Wadi rum, you know, being in a desert, like fine, we'll go to the right. desert, you know, but like, <laughs> I mean, just mind blowing in ways I could never explain. So it's probably good. I'm not a travel writer. And that's actually not too far from Europe either, getting to that no. area of the world. Yes, all those Mediterranean co- countries are a pretty short hop by plane. And, and then Morocco, you can actually get to on a ferry, which makes it really easy. But yeah, so if anybody's wondering what Wadi Rum is like, you've probably seen it in many a movie, including the new Dune one. Huh? Really? Maybe <laughs> yeah. that'll be watch the new Dune one. <laughs> it's quite good. It's, it's great eye candy. See it in the theater. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I have my new... Um, I'm trying to up my cardio. I hate cardio. And the new thing I'm doing, though I hate cardio and I'm not a video game person, is I'm doing that virtual reality Oculus thing. Oh, wow. And it has these workouts <laughs> called Supernatural. And they're like a 3D a virtual reality of these places around the world, like Petra, like Wadi Rum, cool. where I'm like, oh, I've been there. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but it also shows me other places. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. I'd love to go there sometime. Um, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's satisfying my travel itch right now. Not long-term, but for, for now, it'll satisfy it. <laughs> so tell me this. Are there places around the world for travel or for moving that you haven't been yet, but that are on your radar that, you know, with COVID travel stuff not happening as much or whatever, that, that you're hoping to check out pretty soon? Yeah, I have not been to Georgia, which I mentioned earlier. The country of, of course, not the state. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's become a real digital nomad hotspot because basically you can go there for a year on a tourist visa. And on top of that, they have a digital nomad visa that you nice. can get. Um, so it's not the greatest in terms of weather. I mean, they have a they have a real winter there, but it's not too bad. It's kind of mild. And then you can go skiing, which is, you know, always nice if you have to put up with winter. Nice. So um, it's a big wine. It's like the oldest wine region in the world. Um, and so there's lots and lots of wineries there and, you know, mountains and there is a bit of a beach area. And so, um, and it's very cheap. I mean, you can rent a two bedroom apartment there for 600 bucks in the capital city and it'll be pretty nice. And so a lot of people who had to leave Bali or Chiang Mai or wherever ended up there. So I feel like I've kind of missed out. I was going to go there in 2020 and then we all know what happened then. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so hopefully I'll get there in the next year or two. Otherwise, I mean, I think I've been to most of the places where where people end up moving. Um, I haven't spent much time in Spain and, you know, Barcelona has been kind of a hotspot for a long time. But, um, you know, I don't know if I would live in a city like that anyway. I don't really like living in a big, huge city as much. Um, Like I love to go to Bangkok for a week, but I I wouldn't want to live there all the time. And um, I want to spend some more time in Argentina. And I, I was telling you before we started that I've got a trip planned down there in March to Patagonia and hopefully that all works out and I'm going to scope it out a little bit. I've got a few expat friends that live there that I'm going to hopefully connect with. And there's some other spots that, you know, this happens a lot where the political winds kind of change and and they, it becomes not as good a spot as it used to be. And I kind of feel that way about a few spots right now. One of them, one of them is Nicaragua, one of them's Turkey, and both for similar reasons. They've got a kind of a dictator for life in place, and that nobody can seem to get rid of. Nice. And um, you know, a lot of personal freedoms have been eroded. So I would be scared to death to buy in either of those places. But again, for three months, you know, what what could happen? It's maybe not so bad. But I have not been back to Turkey for about ten years, and um, I do love the place, but I'm not real thrilled about the environment right now. It's interesting. You talk about the three months I had a parent asked me recently. I am a total fan of Estonia. I'm such a fan of Estonia. Yeah, I haven't been there. I, I should mention, I haven't been to that one. And they have that e-visa program, yes. which is nice. Yes, it's cool. And and Latvia, I also love. They're not as digital nomad friendly, but but um, Estonia is fantastic. And they have some great schools, very internationalized. And a, one, a mother asked me, you know, do I think that's a good idea given the issues with Russia and Ukraine and all that right now? And that's basically what I said to her. I said, you know, as as an American citizen, I would absolutely send my American citizen kids there for a degree program because if things got dicey, they can leave. Would I buy property there? Maybe not right now, but certainly for for three years when you can leave, I absolutely would. And I feel that way about most places. I mean, Poland doesn't have the best political situation right now. Hungary doesn't have the best political situation right now. But things get dicey, you can leave. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and that brings up a larger point. I think for most people, it doesn't make sense to buy in a country unless you know you're going to be there for the long term right. or unless you're just buying like a cheap vacation beach house or something, which I did that once in Mexico, where it was such a low price that like what it, the downside was, you know, so minuscule that I didn't really worry about. It. Like if right. I lost all that money, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But, you know, some people put their whole life savings into a house and like they sell something in the U.S. for 600000 and they put it all into a mansion somewhere. And that to me seems incredibly risky, especially if you haven't lived there already. Um, you know, some people do that house owners international style back to that, <laughs> you know, without even like spending any time in the place. And so then you don't know the real values. You don't know what people are actually paying. You don't know what the best neighborhoods are. You don't know how well that town is going to hold its value, what's on the way. And so, yeah, I, I would tell people to be cautious about that unless they're just taking a flyer with, you know, a minimal 10% of their net worth or whatever, then you, you don't have much to worry about, but just rent for a while. You can rent a fabulous place for less than you would spend on, you know, a monthly mortgage in the U S in a cheap place. So just um, enjoy it. <laughs> and even in a not cheap place, we lived in a uh, cash cash, which is just outside of Lisbon. It's like an ocean town. And we paid much less than our mortgage for a place that was, you know, a five minute walk from the ocean. So I could walk on the ocean every single day. Um, nice. We had a horrible, horrible landlord. Uh, <laughs> that was, you know, and it was a third floor walk up and third floor European third floor. So really fourth floor. But you know what? That that counteracted the effects of some of the pastel donata and uh, wine right. and cheese we were having so much of. <laughs> Definitely pay off uh, trade offs. Yeah. And if anybody, if you ever want to like, get an idea what the rent prices are, just pull up Airbnb and check the monthly rates. And that's going to be the highest. I mean, that's, you know, the top end, you'll probably find something cheaper if you're there on the ground and looking around, but that'll give you an idea. And you could search in a place like Toronto, Albania, for instance, and see like penthouse apartments for 500 bucks a month on Airbnb, you know, really nice places. And so, you know, if you go there, you're probably going to spend less than that. And sometimes that's utilities included. So that's your monthly nut and you've got nothing else to worry about. So why would you buy a place? You know, like totally. it doesn't make sense. Totally. Unless, you're, unless you see, see the future and you know, you're going to take a great investment ride. Absolutely. Oh, man, my list is growing and growing from this conversation with you. Georgia was already on my list, but now there are a few more on my list as well. Um, and from reading your blogs. So so can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, the resources, the blogs, the books, how, how you help people who are interested in cheap travel or cheap living abroad? Yes, yeah, so I have a book out called A Better Life for Half the Price, and it's in its second edition right now. That was my pandemic project when travel shut down for a while. I spent a few months interviewing people for the second edition of this book because it was really easy to get hold of people. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I got a lot of expat stories in there, actual prices of what people are paying and, you know, kind of the, the goods and bads. I mean, one criticism of some of the expat publications and websites out there is they kind of, you know, make everything look rah, rah, wonderful all the time. And I'm trying not to do that because there are downsides to every place and you need to, you know, be aware of those and, and know before going in so you don't get a nasty surprise. But, um, you know, most people who live abroad are willing to take that in stride and they're happy, you know, they're there and they usually say, I wish I'd done it earlier, you know, because they their expenses have gone down, they're living a happier life, they're not as stressed, they're eating better. <laughs> so, you know, all those things can really make your whole life feel better. Mm -hmm. um, I have a blog called the Cheapest Destinations blog that I've had since 2003. So um, I'm one of the pioneers, I guess. That's about cheap travel and living abroad, just, um, you know, how to travel well for less or and how to live abroad for less. And um, I have a few other publications where where I'm editor. Um, I'll just shout out to one. It's called Perceptive Travel, and it's all narrative stories from book authors. So that's kind of a more uh, literary side of travel as opposed to the, the how-to stuff, which is most of what I end up working on. But uh, sometimes it's good to tell a longer, more in-depth story about a place or a story. So um, those are some of the things I work on. And um, yeah, I have a, if you're just a traveler, I have a book out called um, The World's Cheapest Destinations and I update it every few years and that'll give you some real prices in different locations. And 
I want to stress one thing real quick um, that you should take advantage of if you're a student. You have access to a student visa, so that makes life so much easier. So if you try easier. to go somewhere as an adult to get a residency visa, it's a whole lot harder than getting a student visa. So uh, take advantage of it while you can. For sure. For sure. And I just have to encourage all of our, our listeners to check it. We're going to have links to all of these in the show notes. But really, I mean, very few people who I don't know have inspired action in my life like like you and your resources have. So, um, I mean, even still, we're not going to be living abroad now, but reading your blogs and coming up with the next places I want to go. I sent my son your blog about the cheapest places for beer. I mean, there is um, fantastic resources that continue to excite and expire. So I I hope that every, not expire, did I say expire? Inspire. <laughs> um, but I do hope that everybody will check it out. And I really, really appreciate you being here today. Well, thanks for having me on, Jennifer. It was good talking with you. And I might hit you up for uh, what you paid in Portugal later. <laughs> for sure. Thanks so much for listening today. Before we end, I'd like to tell you about the Crunch Time Pack. So I only offer this uh, twice a year. And it's for students who are going to be applying for the fall of 22 and are feeling behind on the research. And it's a personalized and comprehensive package that's really hands-on with me to make sure that, you know, all the ducks are in a row. So the first thing this comes with is a best fit list. This is a service we offer where I personally handpick three to five programs that fit the student's qualifications, budget, interests, preferences, all of that that they um, provide to me through a form that's um, emailed to you after ordering. It also includes a line jumper pass. The turnaround time for best fit list is often about three weeks or so because we get so many of them. And with the line jumper pass, you'll get your best fit list just 10 days after submitting. It also comes after you get your best fit list back, we'll have a one hour consultation and we do this to formulate your admissions plan and also answer any questions you might have. After that, I create a custom admissions calendar for you with all the deadlines. You know, when you need to ask whichever teacher for a recommendation, when you need to write your motivation letter by, all of those are going to be on a calendar specifically for you based on the schools you're applying to. And then it comes with email check-ins that I'll send you around those dates saying, hey, you got that reference letter yet? Or, you know, just to follow up and for some accountability, which I know helps a lot of people, including myself. Also comes with a motivation letter review where I will go through the letter you write for admissions and give you suggestions about organization, structure, content, et cetera. And it also comes with a Facebook group membership, which is only usually available to our month to month members, which of course, if you're about to apply, you might not need a full membership, but you do get access to our incredible community of families. So a lot of these services you can't purchase separately. I don't offer the calendar, for instance. I don't offer email check-ins, for instance, without this package. But if you were to add up the cost of the other services that we do offer, uh, the cost of this package is $525 less than if you paid for the available services separately. Uh, Because it's such a personalized service, I only accept five students at a time. So you're going to want to make sure to sign up really soon if you're interested. You can find a link to this special and also more information about this episode in our show notes. And you'll find a ton of other information on our site, which is beyondthestates.com. You'll find blogs, uh, some by me, others were written by our student ambassadors. They have both written and video blogs. You'll find links to our old podcast episodes that we did back in 2017, which is a great starting point. And you'll also learn more about our various services and our incredible community. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have suggestions for future episodes, just shoot us a message there. And finally, if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you'd leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks again for listening.